let's talk to, our, talk to our teacher and ask him to speak to us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that we're here. Thank you for Gold Lake. Thank you for the heritage, for the legacy, for the stewardship that's taken place here over the years, stewardship of your word, of your kingdom calling. I thank you for the way that you led each of these men and women here for this week or maybe even just for this session. I don't know all the different details that have gotten us in here. But I do know this, you've got us in here for a reason and it's not just go, to go through religious motions, it's not just to tip our hat at, okay, let's do a session because we're at a Bible conference. It's, we're hungry, thirsty men and women, we're human beings who have been created and wired and we thank you for the gospel that illuminates, okay, who we are, what we're about, where we're going, why we're here. So I pray that you will give me wisdom to say no more, no less than what you once said. We're listening. It's a matter of life and death, truly. So we're listening. I pray this in the name of the way and the truth and the life, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So where we are to catch up real quick. What's it look like? Jesus didn't come. His agenda was a cosmic, life-giving agenda. I'm going to be real quick here because I know this is a review for 99% of you. But he did not come to start a religion to give us something to do on holidays. He came to say that you might have life, not a self-improvement, self-actualization thing. It is, I've come to restore you to what you originally intended for. And so there's this notion of so often I'll talk to, to, to people, they, they kind of when they come right down to it, okay, there's pray the prayer and wait for heaven, but what do I do in, the, in between? And yes, part of our calling, and we're going to dive right off the bat, is telling others about that. But it comes in the context of living the life of the gospel, being restored in the original purpose we're made for, perfectly not this side of the new heaven and the new earth. I've still got a fallen body. I'm still in a fallen world. But it's understanding that, uh, uh, that lavished life he wants us to have. By the way, the... Um, does this have a pointer? I'm trying a new one here. The uh, have life, have it to the full. That's a Greek word, parasos, back in, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 8. He says he's lavished, his grace has been lavished on us. It means, yes, to the full, overflowing, abundant, excessive. He's referring to something that's bubbling over. And he says, I've come to restore the thief, the enemy, ever since the garden, wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and... and uh, um, deaden our lives to the point where we're just surviving. And with a few painkillers along the way, a few anesthetics, a few moments of laughter, a few moments of things to remind us that we're not living a life of, of, to distract us from the fact that we're living a life of oblivion, which is what our culture says. You were born an accident. Your death will be an accident. You were nothing before you were born. You're nothing after you're born. Come up with some purpose in between. And Jesus says far more than that. I've come not to make religious people. I've come not even to make Christians. I've come to make restored human beings to the glory of the Father, and I'm restoring all things. And front and center are my images. So, John says, he got it. He says, I've written these things that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Yes, the Son of God. Understand that. And we, you know, we wouldn't have evangelical churches without that understanding. That's the orthodoxy part. And, and, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So, it's orthodoxy and vibrancy. By believing you may have life in his name on Mondays and Thursdays and board meetings and ball games. We spent all day the day before yesterday looking at our longings. Not focused on us, but focused on our longings as, as the soil in which the gospel is planted. God has wired us in a particular way. By the way, I was having a conversation with somebody. I, I, I actually do believe that that vibrancy and that life in his name applies to all aspects of our journey to the degree that I believe that a follower of Christ should be able to enjoy, pick the local team, the, a Detroit Lions football game more than somebody who's not a believer. 
Why? Well, I'm not going to a Detroit Lions game with my security and my significance and my fulfillment as a human being at stake. If they win or lose, great. I'd love it if they win. I'd be kind of sad if they lose. But my life's ultimate meaning is not wrapped up in what happens there. Apply that to all the different things. As a result, I'm free to really enjoy it for what he is. That's why Paul talks about whether you eat or drink. I'll probably, if I get to it, mention tonight, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Father. So what does this life in his name look like? Not just at ball games, but throughout. So we're looking at the ABCs. There's no particular, these are not prioritized per se, even though I started with A and we'll probably end with J. And the reason that J's upside down is I just figured out it wouldn't stand up. We got these at Hobby Lobby and so there you go. It's a, we'll figure it out before tonight. I'm not talking about J this morning anyway, so it doesn't matter. But what these are, these are simply reminders of, um, they are not, these are not in the book, but there's similar things in the book uh, that's available in the back. Used to disciple my sons and for the, uh, for the church. But these, these are ways for me to remember, okay, on a given morning or at the end of a day evaluating, was I living life to his name? And A stands for awe. You guys are rocking. So... Navigating each day with a sense of awe, walking in wonder, embracing mystery, and dancing to an all of life cadence of worship. We spent all last evening talking about worship. That's what we're meant for. What I did not bring up, I was looking, I skipped over this. In John 3, we know this passage, Nicodemus, the religious guy, saying, what's up with this? And Jesus says, you've got to be born again. We've used that phrase so much. Remember what it means. It means to be birthed. It means to come alive in a way that I've never come alive before. And he says, that new birth enables us to see things that other people do not see. So can a person who's not a believer live with a sense of awe? Yes, an appreciation and so forth, but you and I know the author of the beauty. It becomes worship, not just admiration. Second uh, Corinthians 4, 6, what happened when I came to Christ? For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, he made his light shine in our heart. The moment that I trusted Christ, he gave, gave me the light of the knowledge of his glory displayed in the face of Christ. So that something happened in my heart to enable me to see in a sense of awe and to begin to pay attention to that. This was the quote I was looking for last night. Earth's, it's a famous one by Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Earth's crammed with heaven. Every common bush is a fire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest of us, we just sit around and pluck blackberries with our natural faces unaware, going through the motions. So that's A. What's E stand for? I haven't told you yet, so you're okay. You're off the hook. Engagement. By engagement, I'm referring to a gospel calling that I live every day with to engage others with the hope of the gospel, the life of the gospel, the life of Jesus through outreach, service, evangelism, discipleship, justice, compassion, culture care. The list goes on and on to make sure that I'm understanding the reason that I am here, yes, partly, it's part of the whole package. Uh, last night, I might disturb some of you by saying, there are some people that say the only reason that I can go to heaven after I trusted Christ is to share the gospel. That is a huge reason, but it's not the only reason. God's redeeming his creation for his glory. And I can glorify him in who I am in all of my life. It's not just a religious or a, an evangelistic agenda, but that engagement flows out of my experience of his life. So, the, the disciples, they were told Peter and the guys said, the angel, when he broke him out of jail, it's one of those heavenly jail breaks. He said, go stand in the temple courts and tell the people about this new religion. About this new way to spend your Sundays. No. Tell them about this new life. It's a new way of doing life. 
There's all that reference to heart-beating, lung-breathing life, but then there's the reference, references to the life of the gospel. I mentioned last night the doorway, that this is part, this is kind of the, the orthodoxy, it's the right belief, believing in Jesus the Messiah, but remember, there's a huge world existence and eternity inside of living to the glory of God inside the cathedral. Here's how some unbelievers who've been approached from an evangelism sense feel is that me as a, as a, as a believer saying, and sorry, this is a cathedral, Barcelona cathedral, it's not that great of a depiction, but you guys remember the doorway. The purpose of the doorway is to get us into the cathedral. So Jesus is king of this doorway. He's king of cathedral. He's the way into that doorway. But so often they perceive us as standing right next to the door and say, hey, come over here and stand, stand come through this door. Well, why am I coming through this door? It's because we're supposed to, because the door is the right way. Yeah, I know that, but why? Well, if you want to be forgiven of your sins and go to heaven, heaven. Uh, okay, but that's not really on my agenda now. Well, that's part of what coming through the doorway is. But what else is there? And so often, as followers of Jesus, we're not living inside the cathedral with the fullness of life. And so we're telling people to go in there, but we're not inviting people. It's a matter of me authentically modeling, saying, I'm figuring this out as well. And it's phenomenal a way for me to engage. Ambrose of Milan said, we do not seek to impose anything on the world. Instead, we propose a more excellent way. Go back to orthodoxy and vibrancy. The church has been, in fact, increasingly so in uh, the acerbic cultural wars that we're experiencing. It's, we've been screaming orthodoxy at this culture. That is not being salt and light. Being salt and life is boldly proclaiming the gospel, but it's modeling, proposing a more excellent way from inside the cathedral saying, this is the life of Jesus. It's where the disciples were coming from. They were walking in deep intimacy. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, there's two phrases there I want you to pay attention to. They're similar. Can you spot them? He's giving the reason. He's giving the resource. He's pointing out, where does your forgiveness come from? Where does your love come from? Look at the text. Where does our, our love come from? Where does our forgiveness come from? Hmm? I'm going to give you, you guys know from Christ, yes. Yeah, so you guys know about dispensational theology and reformed theology and patristic theology and liturgical theology and historical theology. There's ton, tons of theologies. Let me tell you, one of the most powerful theologies is plumbing theology. I've, if you want to get a master's or doctorate in some of those other theologies, it'll take you years. I spent tons of years in graduate school. But I've never heard anybody else talk about plumbing theology, but I can give you a master's degree in plumbing theology right now. You can leave Gull Lake with a master's degree in plumbing theology. All you got to do is be able to understand one statement. Oh, thanks for asking. So, here you go. There's a difference between a pipe and a bucket. Now, you guys are supposed to react like that. Ooh. Thank you. There's a difference between a pipe and a bucket. If I understand that statement and even more importantly learn to live it out, I've got my PhD in plumbing theology. You see, what pour goes into a bucket stays in that bucket, stagnates, becomes something different than what it originally was. What goes into a pipe flows through that pipe elsewhere. 
Religiosity is all about being buckets. All the goodness of God, the the truth of God, the way of Jesus, the life of Jesus poured into us. But instead, we turn those things into religious relics and their stagnation. How many of you have ever encountered somebody who's not a believer, not a church person, say, I don't want to have anything to do with the church because the church is just full of, and they fill in the blank. It's hypocrites, bitter people, angry people, uh, all this stagnation that's come. The scriptures are filled with plumbing theology in terms of being pipes. He says, be kind and compassionate just as Christ, in Christ, God forgave you. So he's lavished his forgiveness on you. Give it away. He's lavished his love on you. Give it away. Psalm 67, oh God, bless us, be gracious to us. Not so that we can be proud religious people and talk about how special we are, so that your name might be made known among the nations and your salvation to all peoples. Let us be pipes, not buckets. So the engagement is learning to be life-giving. And where do we get that life? From Him. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The Great Commission is the Great Commission. But I hear people, and this might rankle some, some of you. That's okay. Let's, we, we can talk about it. If you're a business person, there's a difference between a vision and strategy. Yes? Vision's the overall. This is the why. The strategy is the how. I hear a lot of people refer to this as Christ's vision. His vision was to make disciples. I'll hear them say that. Reason you, this is a strategy statement. What's his vision statement? Well, there are, there, are no, there are a number of them, but one of them you just saw a few minutes ago. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. And here's the deal, though. Do not keep that life to yourselves. Go and make disciples. So the way for the, this, this cosmic renewal of the cosmos Uh, This cosmic renewal of the world, bringing the world back to life is him bringing you to life, bringing you to life and says, do not keep that life to yourself. I've made you alive. Engage other people with that same life. Invite them in. I've got some friends at Navigators. We you know, live some of the time in Colorado Springs. We lived many years there. You guys know the Navigators. I love messing with them because we'll talk about this. Because I'll say, Jesus, his number one goal is not to make disciples. And you know, the Navigators are all about disciples. They start, uh, the breathing begins to change. And what are you talking about? And I said, his goal is to bring us to life. But the way that happens is through discipleship. The way that Arlene and I wanted to to raise our sons is by discipling them. It's our primary discipleship relationship. But what are we doing? Are we just teaching them to have a quiet time and pray and go to church and uh, figure out a way to share their faith? It's all of that, but it's so much more. It's how to do life to the glory of God. And there's modeling that goes on in that. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Where do we get that light? We'll come up with it. In him was life and that life is the light of all mankind. Let that light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In Australia, on the eastern coast in the south, there's a place called the Jervis Bay. It's a treacherous area. 
Ships would be wrecked way too often. So they hired a guy named Dawson back in the 1850s to build a lighthouse. He's an architect and a builder. And so he agreed. He built it, and they wanted it on the, in the area of Cape George. So he built this lighthouse, and after the lighthouse was built, they didn't see any, any significant change. In fact, in the next, uh, I think it was the next 30 years, they would average at least two shipwrecks a year. And about the turn of the century, they spent, sent some other people, some analysts in to say, figure out what, what, what has happened here. And they discovered and they did some research into Dawson's journals and so forth. He picked the location for the lighthouse, not based on where it would be most helpful to ships, but what, what was easiest to him. It was closest to the quarry. And it was a better location in terms of there are a lot of the other places that were far more rocky, were going to be more difficult construction-wise. And so, as a result, it was not helpful. But he let his engagement be dictated by his convenience and his comfort. When Jesus says, go and make disciples, all authority has been given to you, I unleash you. This is not some passive when it's convenient. This is engage the world, the culture in evangelism and outreach and discipleship and justice and culture care. And it will not always be convenient or comfortable. It's my calling over you. And may the church come alive to the point where we let the cadence of our engagement be dictated, not by our convenience, but by the, the drumbeat of his calling in our lives. And he says, when that happens, people will see my life. Richard and Renee Stearns from World Vision said, look at the people around you. You may just be the only Jesus they will ever see. And what was so significant about Jesus and said he was fully alive more so than anyone before Adam and since Adam and Eve before the fall. And he's referred to as the firstborn of the new creation when he rose again from the dead, having taken our death penalty. He said, I'm calling you to life, but I'm calling you to engage. If we live our lives just for ourselves, it's not life with a capital L. It's not the life of Jesus. At the end of my day, did I live the life of the gospel? Was I fully alive today? At the beginning of my day, Father, enable me to exhibit the life of Jesus, this supernatural, transformational existence. It will involve me living with a cadence of awe, living with a cadence of engagement. It'll also, that engagement really will come out, and again, these are not in any particular order other than the alphabet, and they help me remember. And I'll show, I'll prove it tonight. I can, get, I can say these in just a few seconds. Just because of the alphabet, it helps me to remember. Depth. May I, I live today with a sense of depth. Father, wonder, have today have I been a deep person? Depth is approaching life with thoughtful substance, grappling with the meaning behind events while firmly rooted in the Word and the wisdom of God. All right. You guys have spent some time on the shore here, yes? You look out, and some of you have been out on the water, but even if we're not out on the water, you're looking and seeing. I, lo I love watching the Chris Crafts and the, uh, the motorized crafts, but my favorite thing to watch on a lake is a sailboat. I mean, it's just something beautiful about it. But what you see on the surface is not all there is. When I was a kid, uh, we had some friends on, on a lake, and they had a little sunfish. 
Those things still exist. They still all have sunfish, little, little beginner sailboats. And it was his, his older brothers. His older brother was about six, six seven years older than us. And uh, he was gone somewhere. And we were, I don't know, nine, ten, and I thought, he said, let's take my brother's boat out. And I said, really? He said, yep. And so we got out there, and it was all kind of dismantled. There was the mast and so forth. So we started pushing, pushing it in, and there was this one uh, kind of long, thin-looking thing. And he, I said, what's this? And he said, I don't know. And so we just left it. <laughs> now, what was that thin thing? It was the keel. So we got out there, and it was a lot of fun till the wind really picked up. There was no ballast. There was no substance. There was no stability. There's no depth. That keel that's necessary underneath the water that no one else sees. So those moments of quiet, those moments of digging in to the Scriptures, engaging with the words of Jesus. He said, the Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you they're full of religiosity. No, they're full of spirit. They're full of life. I love how John starts his epistle. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which you have seen with our eyes, which we've looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, and we've seen it and testified to it. And proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. He said there was something, the word, the use of the word, the, the word word that's translated in English. And in John, he begins his gospel the same way. In the beginning was the word, the logos. It was the, uh, the essence of unity in the universe, philosophers had said. And now all of a sudden, John brings up that logos is a person. It's Jesus. And so, what do I need to be deep? Do I need the written word or the living word? That is a trick preacher question. The answer is yes. Getting into the word of God underneath the tutelage of the word of God. Getting into the word with the word. Getting to know the word by the word. Richard Foster begins his book, Celebration of Discipline, with this statement, superficiality is the curse of the age. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. How much is under the surface in my life? The only thing that I'm doing in my walk with Jesus happen just kind of in church when it's convenient? Or am I grappling with the Word and at the same time with my, with my story? I'm going to get out of order just a little bit here, but I want to explain what I mean by this if I can find it. A lot of times people will say, well, let's get into the Word, but there's no connection with their stories. Some of you are in small group communities. You get into Scripture. Here's one of the most dangerous things I hear in Bible studies, this phrase. That's interesting. We're not here to talk about what's interesting. We're here as men and women created in the image of God, and He's drawing us back in, and He's given us an instruction manual, an owner, owner's manual, and He says, get into it. And so there's that aspect, what, what the, what, where the depth comes from is me engaging authentically with my story and the Scripture. It's not one or the other. You'll have some small groups, they want to get together and talk about their stories and what's going on in the ups and downs and the ins and outs and what do I do here? And the, they, they never get into the Word. Well, all that is is a pooling of ignorance, basically. And, but you do feel better about it because you, you're kind of, everybody else is in the same boat with you and so forth. There are others, they'll get into the Word, but they never walk in authenticity, And you can have people that are dying. Nobody else knows about it in the community. And we'll get to that. It's another, it's one of these other letters and we'll get to it. 
But it's walking together. And the same is true when I get alone with Jesus. It's not just me crying out to Him regarding my story. and th- It's me listening to Him with the Scriptures. And it's both and. It's, 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 not, one, ju- it's not just one or the other. Uh, the... Uh, John chapter, they have, my eyes, I think it's this, I think this uh, in the Q screens, it, the font's just getting smaller. I don't think it has anything to do with my eyes. Here Jesus talks to some people that were Scripture people, Bible study people, and it's, He's rebuking them. Is He rebuking them for their study of Scripture? No. What's He rebuking them for? He says, you study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. He's not rebuking them for their diligent study. He says, but this is what he's rebuking for. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Am I getting into the word for what's interesting religiously or what's life-giving from my humanity to the glory of God? Am Am I wanting my kids, I want to be so careful here, I'll just take it as a prompting. Um, We had our boys memorize the books of the Bible. So I want you to know, therefore, don't throw rocks. We told them that's not the most important thing. I wanted them to know the major themes of some of the books of the Bible. That's how... It's getting their stories into getting into the Word. It's not just learning about the Word. Some of the meanest people I've ever met in my life knew Scripture well. But they had refused to let the Word be life-giving. So, you and I are in the midst of a culture that is addicted to amusement. Anybody here enjoy amusement? Okay, do you have friends who enjoy amusement? We all enjoy amusement. But the problem with amusement is that it's become a way of life in this culture. You know what amusement means? Ah, muse. Ah is to negate. It's the prefix to negate, to nullify, to say no. Muse is to what? Think. Amuse is to not think. Let's amuse ourselves to death, as Neil Postman said. We're a culture that's not thinking any longer. We're a church that's not thinking. Now, doesn't, not saying amusement is bad. There are times I need to unplug, and so to you. But what's happened in our culture is we become an amusement-addicted culture where all we're doing is not thinking. Not to mention we're changing the physiological component, uh, makeup of our necks and our vertebrae and three centuries from now we're going to be all born like this. And it's, so, it's a matter of saying don't just learn about Scripture. Learn to connect Scripture with your journey. T.S. Eliot said we had the experience but we missed the meaning. What enables me to catch the meaning? Behind events, being a man or woman of the word, of the book. But not just in a religious sense, not just knowing. I I mean, I want to know the chronology of, of, of the kings of Israel. But I'm doing that to see this amazing weaving of of God's purposes throughout history. It's connecting all the doctrine back to Mondays. A lot of people will say, well, you know what? All that stuff, all that doctrine, I mean, I got, I got my business meetings to deal with. I don't want to deal with that. No, it's not, one, it's, not, it's not just story and forget the Scriptures, nor is it Scripture and say it's not going to apply to story. It's Scripture and story together. It's going down that path. Philippians chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. These are not islands. What's he? One of the ways I engage is by being a deep person. 
Philippians 2, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. What will distinguish me from that crooked? By the way, the, the Greek word for crooked there is scolios. It's where scoliosis uh, comes from. But this a, a generation that is just, it's, it's, it's warped. It, 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 it's, it's never identified that music they were born remembering. They've got those longings, but they've attached those longings to incorrect pursuits. And all of a sudden, along comes this new humanity that God is, is, is resurrecting from the dead in each generation. And he's saying, I want you to engage, but engage from a posture of depth. Then you, and this is what will enable you to engage. You will shine like stars among them as you hold firmly to the word of life. Not not just the word of religiosity, but the word of life, and say, hey, you know what? I know a verse in Scripture that applies to that. Not preaching at them, just saying something from inside the cathedral, not just to the doorway, and say, this doorway is the way to go, and you need to not stop messing around and go to that doorway. No, let's go into the cathedral and say, can I tell you something? Man, I was dealing with the same thing. Some of what Scott said the other day, hey, there was a time in my life when I was, and then I came in here, and this, and here's a passage of Scripture. It might be helpful. Can somebody unplug that clock? We just need to uh, just take the batteries out. This is just two chapters later as Paul's talking to the Philippians. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy. And then he gives two exhortations. Think and practice. Think about th such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me. <sighs> Parents, how about that one being a parenting verse? Don't do as I do, do as I say. You know what? I know you messed up. You've seen me mess up. You saw what I did when I messed up. As I confessed it to you and to your mom. And I... Uh, Let's get back on track. But it's being substantive, being deep, living with a keel. By the way, way, truth, and life, noble, pure, true, right, lovely, admirable. Noble, pure is way, true, right, truth, lovely, admirable, life. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Psalm 1, 1 and th through 3. The rest said, blessed is the one who doesn't walk in the way of the scoliosis, the crooked and depraved. Blessed is the one who instead lives with depth, meditating on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, a keel, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. And whatever they do prospers. I want to do a, a break. But I'm going to add, they said, you know, just play it by ear, uh, kind of where people are and so forth in terms of what the expectations are. So could I do this? Could I take, they want to give you a 10-minute break. And or I want to give you a 10-minute break too. I want a 10-minute break. I, uh, but uh, could we go from, uh, from, it's 10 after, could we go to, to 20 after instead of 11.15? Could we go to 20 after, take a 10-minute break, and then do 30 minutes of Q&A? Could, could we do that? And that way I'll get one more letter in. <laughs> I got letters. Got to make the donuts here. Uh, so... If I'm going to live this life in his name, I'll be living every day in all of life with a sense of, I'll be a man or woman of, the people around me, I won't build a wall. I want to go after them because I want to live with, 
and be a life giver. I also want to live with a sense of brokenness. This immediately throws this whole notion that life with a capital L, the life of the gospel is always a smile. It's not. Sometimes it's tears, but it's authentically engaging with the hope of the gospel. Brokenness, going through painful experiences of a fallen world in the light and hope of the gospel, submitting to God's gracious, refining, and restorative agenda. I want you to memorize a verse right now. Right where you say, are you ready? Okay. Here we go. Got it? One of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture. Because it shows the Son of God, who's the author and the finisher of all creation, engaging with the fallenness and the brokenness of this world. Did Jesus cease to be? This is at Lazarus' tomb, his good friend. He was about to raise him from the dead. Did Jesus cease to be fully alive in this moment? No. But he authentically engaged with the fall. Consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, James says, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Broken experiences are not our enemy. Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have shalom. In this world, you will have trouble. I've done a lot of research into the Greek and exegeted it and parsed it out. Do you know what that phrase means? It means in this world, you will have trouble. So there is good news. You know what? You're about to head back into your, your homes next week. In this world, you will have trouble. Be encouraged. Here's what lacking this does to our interpretation of the gospel is we think if I get all the T's crossed and get my quiet times just right and figure out this or that, God's going to exempt me from difficulty. That's not the gospel. The gospel is... In this world, you will have trouble, and you come to me. Actually, you come to Christ, you very probably you're going to have more problems instead of less because you're now swimming upstream. Talk to Scott and them afterwards about people who live in cultures that are totally anti-Christian. Come to, and they hear the Americanized version of this gospel and say, trust Jesus and your problems will go away. And they'll say, that's a different gospel. Now, the hope of the gospel is I can take heart because I've overcome the world. Me? No, Jesus has. So he says, I want you to engage with those broken experiences in such a way that you understand this. Your response out of the depth of your walk with me is going to make all the difference. You've had broken experiences in your journey. So have you, so have you. Every person here has broken experiences. That's what we have in common. What we don't have in common is what we, how we respond. Am I taking heart or not? Because he's overcome the world. This is what taking heart looks like down here. Up here, I just want to kill the pain. So I meet that broken experience with a resistant posture and it leads to a woundedness that chokes life and I become hard and bitter and angry and God didn't, didn't keep his bargain. Some of the most sobering moments of my life and journey are when I'm in speaking places or talking with people 
And I want to be very careful here, but people come up and they've, they've given their lives to, to vocational ministry. You'll never hear me use the phrase, by the way, full-time ministry regarding pastors and missionaries. You're a full-time minister, whatever you're doing. We're all in full-time ministry. The difference between maybe somebody like me or somebody like Scott is we're in vocational ministry. So there's, but that, that, but I'll, I'll have people who've been involved in vocational ministry or been very faithful in church and then cancer comes or something happens very painful and there's that sense of what I do all this for. And I don't say any of this then. I can tell you this now because none of you have come up this week and told me this. So, I'll tell you what I'm thinking is thinking, is that why we're doing it so we won't have trouble? That's not what Jesus said. He said, what I'm doing is renewing the cosmos and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and the new humanity that I'm raising up now will reign on that day. But we have got fallenness to navigate and there is weeping to navigate, but there's not hopelessness because if I go with a pliable posture and say, God, okay, this is broken experience. How can I respond right now? How can, what do you want to teach me? Would you rescue me? Would you grip me? Would my intimacy, some of the most intimate, deep moments of growth in my life have been right in that broken experience? And brokenness is a beautiful thing. I'm looking for a slide and it's not here which means I thought about putting it in and I didn't. I, I got a phone call uh, th this morning. I was going to put up a, a, a vase or a vase, depending on what part of the country you come from. From the Japanese art of kintsugi. It's very expensive because what it is, is, po is pottery, usually vases, but other pottery that have been broken and there's an art to it where they bring that pottery, they put it back together with a resin that's gold. And so you'll see this pottery, and it's got gold weave through it. It's broken, and it's more beautiful. And the beauty of walking in a life-giving community is we're broken men and women but we're not bitter because we're calling each other to the hope of the gospel. doesn't mean we don't weep, but it does mean that we say, let the bones dance which thou hast broken. At the beginning of my book, I tell the story, and we'll take our break. I've got four minutes here given what I agreed to. That same trip that I saw the return of the prodigal son in St. Petersburg I was in Moscow. And my friends, we went to this gallery and uh, the State Hermitage Gallery and uh, I saw this painting. Caught my eye. I had been rushing through. I got behind them. I was trying to catch up and it was in a room all by itself on a wall all by itself, not in a room. And I, w I don't know if I was drawn to the size, the color, the size is a lot bigger than that actual piece right there. It probably is down here. Maybe it's the subject matter. I, I wasn't sure what it was, but it sure looked like a prison. Uh, it didn't look like a normal rail car. And so I had a smartphone and it's not only can you use smartphones in concerts, but you can use them in museums. And so I looked it up. I wasn't familiar with this guy. The name of the painting is There's Life Everywhere by Nikolai Yeroshenko. He painted it in 1888. But as I read, I discovered, okay, it is a prison rail car. And you got five prisoners, a mother, a child, a peasant, a farmer, and a soldier. This is back when they were shipping people off to Siberia. And they're stopped at a rail, car, a rail station along the way, and this child is feeding birds. And I, I wanted to know, I don't, didn't know if he's a believer or not. I want to know, is he saying there's life everywhere in the sense is, hey, you can find a bright spot wherever you are. And so I looked it up and he said his primary motivation, his impetus for doing this painting was a short story by Leo Tolstoy. I didn't know Tolstoy written anything short. 
And uh, the, it was actually an essay. The essay is what men live by. I don't know if I mentioned, but the benefit of looking up a painting in a museum is you have your smartphone with you. So I looked up, man, my dad was going crazy. But I looked up what men live by. So this is the essay that Tolstoy wrote that Yeroshenko said inspired him to do this painting. That essay opens with a Bible verse. Tolstoy was a believer. We know that we have 1 John 3, 14, we know that we've passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. So I knew what Yeroshenko, he might be talking about community there some. But when he's using this word life, he's talking about the life of the gospel. He's talking about the Zoe. He's not talking about, hey, look on the bright side. When we were filming the, um, some of the, the videos that accompanied the small group sessions, the film crew had found, uh, the, this production company had found a, a print of this painting, and they gave it to us at a dinner at the end of the, the filming. Arlene and I have it up in our home in, in Colorado, and we need to get one for a home in, in uh, condo in, in Florida. Because there are moments where the weeping happens. This world's fallen. Anybody here want to argue with that? And in some of those moments, I've actually sat in my living room and looked up with tears and said, there's life everywhere. There's a guy that Yeroshenko doesn't want you to see right away. He's a sixth prisoner. You see him now? He's looking out the other side. And he's making a statement. There's life everywhere. The question is, will I see it or not? Will I engage with it or not? This guy's looking out into a stark gray blankness. And when I went and saw that, I thought, I'm that guy more often than I'm these people. But the life of the gospel is living with a, not a, a brokenness that's defeated, but a brokenness that's hopeful and authentic and pliable. I'm gonna, I gotta pray real quick for you because it's a powerful thing. Jesus, enable each of my brothers and sisters in Christ right now to hear your hope in the midst of whatever they're dealing with and may broken experiences become beautiful brokenness instead of debilitating bitterness. Maybe we can talk about that in a few minutes. Thank you so much for the life and hope of the gospel. Amen.